Hi, I'm Caitlin Prest, and I am here in your ear to tell you about a very incredible new show called Asking For It. Asking For It is a darkly comedic series that follows a queer femme singer whose history of violence finds her no matter how many times she runs away. It has an original soundtrack, and it'll make you laugh, cry, and feel a little bit less alone. Asking for it. Subscribe now. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm AC Rowe. This is The Doc Project. We have a bit of a fun episode for you today. I was feeling the need for that. I think a lot of us could do with some levity. So yeah, for starters, I would like to share with you that I am speaking to you from inside my closet. This is actually an old radio producer hack. If you don't have access to a studio, you record uh, either under your duvet or in your closet because the clothes kind of absorb that echo. Here, I'll show you. Okay. Uh, Closet, 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 closet. Not closet. Not Not closet. Closet. Can you hear the difference? This might be one of those things you can only hear on headphones. Anyway, so here I am between my shirts in my little, I mean, not so much walk-in, but lean-in closet. And it works okay. Every now and then I have to pause if a truck goes by or if the pigeons are too loud. I have some incessant pigeons. But these are the kinds of workarounds that all of us who both have work and have the option of working from home, are coming up with. But Julia Poggle, the senior producer of The Doc Project, well, yeah, my, uh, my vocal pigeons have got nothing on the soundtrack to her home office. Today on the show, two stories from parents who are trying to control chaos. Here's Poggs. So it's been a few weeks of pandemic life. And like many of you, I've been working from home. I have an almost two-year-old who is also home. So the whole working thing, well, it's a juggling act. My husband's a teacher and work is ramping up for him again. So we're splitting childcare, cramming in extra work in the evenings, just figuring it out. And we have it pretty good. We have flexible hours. We're lucky enough to still have jobs. But still, I'll admit, I'm struggling. Even when I'm working, and it's relatively quiet, there's this thing about parenting. If your child is in the house, there's this constant buzz in the back of your mind. Are they hungry? Are they comfortable? Do they need something? So when my husband is downstairs with our son and there's a mysterious thud or cry, there's this little alert that goes off in my mind, like a chat window that won't stop, pinging into your workflow constantly. Like this. I'm in my makeshift office, editing audio, making contracts for freelancers, and the door to the room was closed. But then I opened the door. No, thank you. That's Mama's. It all seems fun. Okay, one more time. Sit on the potty. Sit on the potty. No, my dog. No potty. No potty. No potty, my son says. 
My husband has decided that this break from daycare is the perfect time to experiment with potty training. One more. There you go. Sit. Can you pee pee? Sit. Sit on the potty, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm skeptical, but I try to keep my mouth shut. It's giving them both something to focus on for a bit, so that's enough for me. Okay, where the heck was I? Right, right. Contract. Potty. Oh, you gotta sit on the potty. Okay, try sit on the potty. Good job. Well, it might be working. What potty? Yeah, you gotta sit on the potty properly. Okay, right. Contract. We will need your social insurance number. Mama. Mama. My son wanders back into my office. Now, some of you may be wondering, why the heck are you letting this little guy come in and out? Shut the door. Keep it closed. Be strong. Well, I'm letting him come in and out to avoid this. This is the ultimate distraction. Should I go help? No, it's fine. Resiliency, or something, right? But I don't want him to think that I'm here and just ignoring him. The little guy has no idea why I'm hiding up here all day, and his dad's down there playing with him, and I'm doing all the door shutting. I'll just check on them for a second. Here, do you want a towel or something? <sighs> Before you know it, I'm helping out. Yeah, because... I remember how freaking frustrating it is to get a kid to do anything, and I need my husband to stay sane so he can keep doing this. And I just need them to get into the backyard. Hug. Hug. You want a hug? Hi, sweetheart. Oh. Papa Pig. No Peppa Pig. No, you're going outside. I'm going to go outside. Peppa Pig. No Peppa Pig. No Peppa Can you put your diaper on, please? No, I don't. No, hug. You can still hug, but you need to wear your diaper. No, I don't. No, I don't. It's diaper, same as every day. Potty. Potty. Okay, let's go potty. I don't know about this potty thing. He's too little. I don't know, but he's just using it as an excuse. We're not doing things. I know, it's just an excuse to get naked. Yeah. And run around. We abandon the potty and our bare-bummed little son bolts across the room with a smirk. <laughs> okay, diaper is on. Pants are on. You guys are on your own. I have to get this contract done. Oh, mama. I know, Mama. Yeah, this Mama. She's working. I'm sorry that you're feeling this way. Okay. Back I go. Do you want to play with your basketball? Basketball. Maybe you'll run around? All set? All set. Let's go outside. You say bye-bye, Mama? Uppy. Uppy? Okay. Give me a hug. Oh. Hi, sweetie. Bye-bye, Mama. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, I love you. I love you. You go downstairs with Tata? Bye, sweetheart. Bye-bye. Bye, sweetheart. Yeah. Bye, sweetheart. Okay. Contract. Please include your mailing address 
And don't forget. Oh, I wonder if he remembered his mitts. That's Julia Poggle, our fearless Doc Project senior producer with her family. While Poggs was working on that, she was chatting with other parents on Facebook about how they were making work work during this strange time. And she heard from parents in makeshift closet offices like mine. She also heard from a bunch of people who were getting a crash course in homeschooling. And she got this message from Daniela Marie, who says... Overwhelmed, but trying my best. Nurse, full-time on the front lines, and have three kiddos. So thank you to those who are out there working, like Daniela on the front lines, or keeping the world operating while the rest of us hide out. And also, thanks to everyone who is staying home, doing their part to keep those who can't safe. I'm Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretab. Each week you're invited to listen in on my telephone conversations, whether funny, sad, wistful, or even slightly strange. You never know just what you might hear on Wiretab. Uh, I mean, I knew you had a show. I just, I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. You... That's the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing. The Wiretap Archives, available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm AC Rowe. This is The Doc Project. This next story we actually recorded pre-COVID-19, and I have an update for you after. Sam Mullins is a comedian and writer. He lives in Toronto with his wife, their baby daughter, and some house guests. Some very, very unwelcome house guests who, last year, waged war. Heads up, there is some cussing in this story. It has been squeaky toyed out. Here's Sam Mullins. The first time I walked into the place, I remember thinking to myself, oh yeah, I can be a dad here. It was a large, shabby sentry home in Toronto's West End that was owned by a Buddhist monk who it was explained to us would only be reachable by phone one afternoon per month. The place we were living in at the time was comically small, a relic of my wife's single life that I'd infiltrated two years earlier. But with the baby six months away, we knew that we were going to need room, and lots of it, for the stuff. Namely, the activity centers, baby Bjorns, co-sleepers, bubba chairs, high chairs, clamp chairs, bouncy chairs, strollers, car seats, pack and plays, baby bouncers, baby swings, cribs, and the baby carrier. I didn't know if we'd actually need or use all of the gear that the books told us to get. All I knew was that when I first saw the large west-facing bedroom window with the afternoon sun spilling onto the hardwood floors, it was very easy to imagine a new baby peacefully snoozing over there in something. 
We moved into the new place on New Year's Day. And for those of you who've ever struggled to find a friend to help you move, I offer you New Year's Day 2018, a day so unforgivingly cold it seemed determined to keep even the most dependable of truck-owning friends away from its hypothermic clutches. On our first night, Rachel and I called to each other from opposite sides of the house, drunk with the novelty of hearing a loved one's voice so faintly in the distance while under the same roof. The possibilities seemed endless. After six months of aggressive nesting and six hours of watching YouTube videos on how to install a car seat in a car, we arrived home with our seven-pound third member of the family. And while we ourselves, in our bleary-eyed state, did not yet feel ready, at least our home did. The first time through the door, I remember placing the car seat gently on the ground and saying to the baby, Baby, this is where we live. So it's 2019, an incident-free year of living in our appropriately sized family home. And one day, I'm at home, and I decide, because I'm the tired parent of a one-year-old, that I'm going to have a nap in the downstairs guest bedroom. So I start walking down the stairs, and I'm about halfway down when suddenly something runs into the bathroom. Instinctually, I close the door, I grab a roll of hockey tape, and I tape the gap between the bottom of the door and the floor and I pull out my phone and I text the landlady there is a mammal in our bathroom she says mouse I text back bigger than a mouse smaller than a car so she calls the exterminator and 30 minutes later this handsome young man with flowing hair and these pristine white overalls shows up and asks what are we dealing with and as we go down the stairs, I tell him about how I left the door to the backyard open all day yesterday, airing out the house. So really, it could be anything. And he explains, just so you know, nine times out of ten, when a client traps something in a room, by the time we arrive, it's already found its way out. Do you have a broom? I hand him one. He says, grab that hockey stick, get behind me. I do as I'm told as he peels off the tape from the bottom of the door and he slides the flashlight into his mouth. And he cracks open the door and nothing happens. But then he pushes it open all the way and there's nothing. He flips on the lights, nothing. So he checks behind the door, behind the toilet, he peers into the tub. There's nothing there. But then he reaches out with the broom and he lifts the shower curtain that's bundled against the wall. And a rat the size of a house cat starts rushing us at the door. So the exterminator screams and 
pushes the broom shuffleboard style, sending the beast airborne, ricocheting off the tub that I bathe my daughter in. But the rat's legs never stop moving at top speed, and it rushes us four more times when somehow in the commotion we lose track of it. And then it makes it past both of us suddenly and books it towards the bedroom down the hallway. So the exterminator throws me out of the way and he swings the broom wildly, letting out the unmistakable thud of broom on rat torso and then the smack of rat torso hitting the drywall and he swings wildly and repeatedly murdering this rat as it screams no I swear to god this rat screamed no three months pass without incident and One day, I go into the storage room to grab a roll of toilet paper, and the floor under my feet is dirty. It's more than dirty. The floor is dirt. This is one of the largest rooms in the house, this storage room. But instead of the tile floor that I'd mopped not two weeks earlier, there are now mounds and mounds of dirt and rat tracks and feces and every box and item in our storage room is completely caked in dirt and mud and shit. And the designer crib made of birch and steel, the crib that was so fancy I had to talk my wife into, the crib that we first put our daughter in when we brought her home from the hospital. It looks like it was used as a porta potty at a rat music festival. And as I'm surveying the scene, I see sticking out from behind one of the shelving units a little bit of the white sleeve of a garment. So I get down on one knee close to it, and I text a photo of this sleeve to my wife upstairs. Does this look familiar? Wife texts back, yeah, that's my Alexander Wang designer blazer. So so I, I grab this sleeve, and I start tugging on it, but it's like really wedged behind the shelf. So I pull harder, and it finally comes loose. And this blazer looks like it was attacked by piranhas. It is in tatters, and the shreds that remain are completely soaked in blood. I hear something move behind me. And I drop the blazer in the middle of the floor and I get out of there. And I text my landlady. It seems that our storage room is now a rat Manhattan or rat Hatton, if you will. So she calls the exterminator again. But this time they aren't able to send someone for five days. Five days in five days we'll all be dead. I text back. So I pour myself a bourbon and I sneak past the baby's room where she's sleeping in her crib like an angel. And I go out onto our front porch and sit in my rocking chair. And I just look out at the street trying to collect myself. When before long, I see a dad 
pushing his child in a stroller, no doubt, on their way to their rat-free home and their rat-free lives. They're probably heading home from a satisfying brunch to their house that they own, their home where the only mammals in their dwelling are the ones that they opted in on. There are rats in my house where my baby lives. Why are there rats in our house? Rats can thrive anywhere. Why must they bring their life of sin and excess into my modest home? I pay $2,500 a month for rats. And the only thing worse than that is the thought of going back into the rental market because I have an arts degree and my net worth might as well be a coupon to Blockbuster Video. And I'll never be able to afford a house because the housing market is f***ed and the baby boomers have all the money and the property. Maybe, maybe I deserve a house with rats. But then I think, hold on a second, I'm, I'm a dad now. And it's moments like this where dads have to rally. Because there is a baby girl and a very nice lady that deserve a rat-free home. The only rat that will be welcome in our home is the Blu-ray copy of Ratatouille. So I finish my bourbon and I put on my thickest pair of jeans and some boots and some gloves and I grab my hockey stick and shovel and I went back into Rat Hatton determined to find the entry point. And you know that blazer that I just dropped in the center of the floor not one hour earlier? It was already pulled all the way back behind the thing. So... I pull out this shelving unit, and there in the floor is a dirt hole with an opening wide enough to comfortably fit a healthy adult pug. So I started digging, and by the time I was done excavating, there was enough dirt to fill five wheelbarrows. So I dug it all out, and stole some bricks from the construction site next door to start blocking this opening with bricks and chicken wire. And when my wife saw me walk through the room carrying several bricks, she opened her mouth to ask a question, but she stopped herself realizing that she didn't want to know the answer. I made a formidable barrier and I checked the next few days to make sure that there were no rats trapped with us on the less fun side of the wall. And on the fifth day, the exterminator finally showed up. And like a proud dad, I showed him my handiwork with the impenetrable barrier made of brick and chicken wire. And he inspected my barrier. And after taking in the whole scene, he looked at me and he offered his professional opinion. And I think he was right when he said, this is f***ing hardcore. Indeed. Indeed it was. He estimated that up to 30 rats were coming and going, mostly to the bathroom in our storage room. As for the mystery of the bloody blazer, he thinks it could have been one of two things. My wife's blazer was either used as a birthing nest 
or rats were just cannibalizing each other on top of it. I like to think it was a little bit of both. So we removed all the dirt and we poured 20 bags of concrete and I deep cleaned this room more times than I could count. And as I tell you this, I am happy to report that we are over 200 days without incident. And while it seems that the rat ordeal of 2019 is behind us, everybody touch wood right now. I still feel only 90% convinced that this story is fully over. And, you know, I always thought that I'd feel like a dad right away. Like, I always imagine that the second that someone hands you your baby for the first time, that you immediately start making bad puns and reading John Grisham novels and clearing your throat more loudly than is required. But sometimes it just takes a bit of time for you to arrive in your dad skin. And sometimes it takes more than time. Sometimes it takes 30 rats tunneling into your home for you to really shine. Sam Mullins. That story was written by Sam and produced by Kent Hoffman. And I have an update. Sam and his family lived rat-free for nearly a year, but just as they entered self-isolation, the rats came back. Sam took a photo for us to share with you. Don't worry, you cannot actually see the rats. Nearly the enormous dirt pile that is the construction zone of Rathatton. You can find that on our website, cbc.ca slash docproject. All of the luck to you, Sam. And that's all for us this week. The Doc Project is produced by Kent Hoffman, Allison Cook, and me. Brandy Wykley and Tahiet Mahboub are our digital producers. Our senior producer is Julia Poggle. I'm AC Rowe from Inside My Closet. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.